Wednesday, February 27th, 2013, episode number 39, the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Football Nation Today podcast hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer, published every Wednesday here on footballnation.com. And for your downloading convenience in the iTunes store, please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast and the other shows on footballnation.com in the iTunes store if you have yet to do so. NFL free agency does not begin until March the 12th, but that does not mean that we don't have a bevy of football-related stories to talk about today. We have a lot to talk about, quite the opposite. A great show planned for you today, and I know I say that every week, but this week I especially mean it. Coming up in our first down segment, we speak with Tommy Curran, Patriots reporter for Comcast Sportsnet New England. We thank Tommy for coming on the show, giving us some of his time. We talked a lot about the Tom Brady contract extension. Patriots and Brady agreed to a three-year, $27 million extension. We discuss how much money Brady may have left on the table by signing this deal. And also, more importantly to the Patriots in the short term, they save a lot of money against the cap with this deal as the Patriots can now spread out Brady's cap hit over the length of the five-year contract. Brady saved $15 million on the cap these next two years. What does that mean for their plan this offseason? And more specifically, what does it mean for free agent wide receiver Wes Welker? And Tommy, like many in the NFL world, were down in Indianapolis last week, covering the Combine, so I asked Tommy Curran some Combine-related questions, including the feeling he has on Manti Teo and Tyron Matthew and the uh, scuttlebutt on those two, if you will, down in Indianapolis. And also, Tommy Curran wrote a terrific article last week about Ryan Mallett, Patriots backup quarterback, and the experience he had at the Combine in 2011, and uh, some of the drug-related questions he had to face, and uh, the questions that were asked of him from, by, by the media and uh, just get into the discussion of how responsible are athletes to the media and how honest and forthcoming should they be to the media about controversies surrounding them. And of course, that applies to both Teow and Matthew. So Tommy Curran, Comcast Sports at New England coming up momentarily. You don't want to miss that. Then in our second down segment, I'm going to give you a little more on Teow and the story uh, reported by Mike Florio, a pro football talk about NFL GMs asking about his sexual orientation and you know, if it does come out that Teow is, in fact, gay, I think it says a lot. None of it good, but the uh, current culture around football. So we'll do a little bit more of Teow. But I also want to spend some time in the second down segment talking about the NFL overhauling its off-season calendar. Reported last week, they want to push everything back a month. What does that mean for an extended season? We'll discuss. Then, of course, in the third down segment, it's the big up slowdown talking about stories such as Joe Flacco's status with the Ravens, a rumored Alex Smith deal, and Daniel Snyder taking on the NFL, and why I think Snyder may win. We wrap up the show with the Reamer rant in the fourth down segment. There's a small contingent of people who aren't giving Brady any credit for leaving money on the table, and I take those smarmy contrarians on. Football Nation Today, episode number 39. My name is Alex Reamer. We'll be right back with Tommy Curran of Comcast Sportsnet, New England.
Welcome back to Football Nation Today, and here we go with our first down segment, where we look at the biggest on-field NFL stories of the past week. Of course, no on-field action with it being the offseason, but a lot of stuff going on that will affect on-field play, and to help us out with that, we bring on Tommy Curran. You know him from Comcast Sportsnet New England. Tom, how are you, sir? Good, Alex. What's going on? Doing well. Going to attack with Tommy Curran, Comcast Sportsnet New England, here in Football Nation Today. Now, Tom, the first question I want to ask you is, I know it's difficult to project, but how much money do you think Brady left on the table by taking this three-year, $27 million extension? Well, if you look at it over the course of what he could command in those three years down the road where he's taking what is basically $8 million salaries, he's got $3 million up front in the signing bonus, so that's already been paid. So you have to look at the money in 2015, 16, and 17 as averaging out to $8 million a year. That $24 million could probably have been upwards of $67 million if you figure that he could have been paid about $22 million a year right. in salary for those seasons. So I would say, uh, you know, about $42 million. How's that? Not bad at all. Um, but I look at it, Tom, and I say, you know, the man's married to Giselle. He has a moat around one of his houses. Isn't that the real reason why he's able to do things like this? <laughs> Well, I, I guess that could be one of those class distinctions, and I've, I've heard a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and, and I really, I don't know how, what to make of it, because I've heard people say it before you said it, Alex. And that, to me, is, and I thought the same thing. It occurred to me as well. I, I don't think that's necessarily fair. So every guy who's paid plenty of money shouldn't go and, and try and seek more. Nope. It makes it seem as if it's less of a sacrifice. And if you look at Peyton Manning, God, nobody's made more money than he has. And he made sure to get his $20 million a year last year from Denver. And he could have taken pay cuts and stayed in Indianapolis. I, I think it's to say, oh, you know, Brady's wife made $126 million a few <laughs> years ago is really not appreciating the true degree of what he is sacrificing in order to try and give the team flexibility and the opportunity to win championships. No, I agree with you there, Tom. Uh, I think, I mean, I love Brady. I know you said it tongue-in-cheek, and, and I would say the same thing, tongue-in-cheek. You're not wrong. <laughs> but uh, I, it's, I think to just say it tongue-in-cheek and not acknowledge that it is beyond remarkable what he's doing um, is, is to not really appreciate what everybody else would do. Just win, baby, as he said on his Facebook yesterday, which made me, you know, get all excited. Uh, again, Tommy Curran, <laughs> Comcast Sports at New England on the show. Um, if you're Joe Flacco's agent, Tom, uh, how much of an effect do you think this has on your client, or does it have an effect on Flacco at all? Minimal effect, because you have $20 million uh, that you're seeking or more for salary. And this is Joe's first bite at the, at the apple, really. I mean, this right. is his first go-around in terms of trying to get a second contract. Now, Tom Brady was a six-round pick, so when he had a second bite at the apple, it was after they won the Super Bowl in 2002, and then he got another bite at the apple in 2005 when he had a second extension done. But this is Joe Flacco's first time around. He did have first-round money in his first contract at a later first-round pick, but I don't think it impacts it at all. Nice. Tom Brady took less. That's awesome. He's also 36 years old. He's uh, renegotiated his contract seven times. This is Joe Flacco's <laughs> first time around. Apple's orange. And he's married to Giselle. Don't forget that, Tommy. Again, That's uh... right. You had to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the big advantage here is the money the Patriots save against the cap, save roughly $15 million over the next two years. 
Wes Walker and the Patriots rumored to be talking about a five-year deal worth $8 million per year. At least that was a report yesterday. Brady is now signed for five years. Seems to be perfect. What do you think, Tommy? Is this a fait accompli that Walker now re-ups with the Pats? Yes, I would pick Tom Brady when I was, you know, with the, at the point of a bayonet and told the Patriots, if you do this for me, you have to sign West. I don't think that he operates that way. But I do think that he is cognizant of where the money that he will be saving the team in salary cap over the next few years will go. And I think that he fully expects that Wes Welker, who he has called the best teammate he's ever had, will be resigned. And I think he'd be disappointed if that didn't happen because Wes has made $27 million since 2007, which is more than you and me combined, I think. Yeah, no, yeah, you're um, right on that. But still, that $27 million is, you know, what Tom Brady is being praised as taking as, you know, pocket change. So, really, Wes Welker has made, relative to what he could have made, kind of pocket change for the contributions he's made. So I'm sure Tom Brady would like that to happen. Indications that I'm getting from the team are that it is in progress and probably in a better spot than it's been since West Walker started seeking a deal. Been around the team for a while, Tom, and I've always been curious. Of course, Brady first really restructured his contract after 2005. We all know what happened with Deion Branch, got traded to Seattle prior to the 06 season. How miffed was Brady around that situation, again, from being around the team? Uh, can you give us some insight on that, on how that affected Brady and how that may affect the Welker negotiations going forward? Again, I think it's it's so far different, that situation, compared to this one. Um, because Dion Branch was going back to the table a year early for a contract, right. which is something the Patriots did not do at that time. However, he had been a Super Bowl MVP. He had been incredibly indispensable for the team. And 2006 showed how much they missed him when they were reeling through Shea Caldwell, Doug Gabriel, and Benjamin Watson leading the team in receptions. Right. So it pissed Brady off a lot. And it pissed him off when Logan Mankins had to go through his crap, and it pissed him off when William Malloy left. And it, um, Tom Brady will never begrudge a teammate making a lot of money because he knows that his situation is exceptional in terms of financial security right. for the rest of his life and many generations of Brady's after. Now, it's a flat cap this year, staying at around $122 million. The Patriots are one of the few teams in good cap position before the Brady extension. Now they're in great cap position. Could we see an offense reminiscent, an offseason, excuse me, reminiscent to what we saw in 2007? Bit of a Freudian slip there, because, of course, in 07, a lot of the money went to the offense. Do you think the focus this time around, Tommy, will be on the defensive side of the football? Well, if you look at the holes that he's filling, they're on the defensive line. They have to show that up. I mean, you're running with Prince Will for at age 32 and two seventh-round picks in love at Dedrick. You have to get better in, in the middle of the line, and this is a, a great draft for it. So I would say they're going to go defensive line through the draft. On the back end, they have to get safeties who bring some attitude, who can be what Patrick Chung should have been but has to turned into. And they need cornerbacks um, just to continue to get better at that spot, I think, you know, and, and deepen themselves, depending upon what happens with Keith Tlaib. So those are three spots. Additionally, you can now get deeper into the free agent market. Um, there's indications that Brandon Lloyd may not be back, even though his production was good. There's some reticence about his style of play and his general demeanor that make him probably at best a point for the return. So wide receiver will be a shopping spot as well. One thing to remember with the flat cap that we hear so much about, sure. Alex, yep. people are forgetting this. When that flat cap, 
while the flat cap wasn't instituted, the, the number, the recipe that adds up to bringing the salary cap was tweaked. What you have to remember is every dollar that a team saved under the cap the year before can be rolled into this year. That ah. never really existed. So the Patriots actually rolled in about $6 million from last year's cap. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily remain flat at that 121. Patriots mm-hmm. put out about a buck 15 last year. They're going to spend about a buck 26 this year, uh, close to a buck 27. So that should be something that people note when they talk about a flat cap. That's something that came in with the CBA to kind of hedge that bet for players. I've heard it been said, Tom, that a lot of teams around the league who are not in as good position the Patriots are are going to, for the first time in really a couple of years, have to make some tough choices with their roster, cut players who they don't necessarily want to cut. That means a lot of guys could be out there for below market value. Do you think that's going to be the case? And if so, uh, do you think the Patriots will really pounce on that with now this uh, cap freedom they have? I'm positive that's what the, what the Patriots are planning on having happen out. Okay. That's, that's what they're counting on. That's you know, Whether that comes to fruition or not, we're seeing guys heaved overboard in Philadelphia. Mike Patterson and Colin Jenkins, I believe, were let loose yesterday. Um, Dwight Freeney and Charles Woodson. Well, Dwight Freeney was going to be a free agent anyway, but they don't have an intention of re-signing him. Uh, Steven Jackson is going to be moving on out from uh, St. Louis. So there's some good players out there, veteran players, who still have miles left on their tires that could be relevant. We've already started to see that. The Patriots are counting on that. What are those guys going to be asking for? You know, some of them are going to be able to say to the Patriots, whoa, 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 we know you just saved a crap load of money. Why are we supposed to take so much less? So it'll be interesting. It's, it's kind of uncharted territory. No doubt about it. Again, Tommy Curran, Comcast Sportsnet, joining us on the show. Uh, second group of topics I want to quickly get in with you, Tom. Uh, you were down at the Combine in Indianapolis last week over the weekend. I thought you wrote a really interesting piece last week about Ryan Mallett's experience at the Combine in 2011 and about whether right. or not players have a responsibility to be open with the press about the controversy surrounding them. Uh, after writing the article and speaking to media types and front office types, how much do you think NFL teams value what a player says at the podium at the Combine? I think that there's a measure of liking to see the player go through the airing of dirty laundry and facing it and seeing how he reacts, especially at the quarterback position, which is what Mallett had to do when he was confronted with questions about drug use, which he... Uh, deferred upon and said, I would rather talk to the teams about that. That's something I'll get into with the teams. I don't blame him for that. That's not a Wednesday press conference of the season when he's already signed. That's a press conference that is held while he's basically conducting job interviews with 32 teams. So, yes, Alex, you or I were walking into a job interview, and on the front steps we had to address the media about all the things that we may or may not have done previous to going into our interview session inside the building, and they were privy to that interview session, uh, you know, I'd like to be able to do it behind closed doors with my prospective employers. So I, I do have the understanding of why Mallet wouldn't want to do it. I do respect that process and why he's allowed to do that in that case. So you know what I'm talking about with the teams. But I also know that to answer your question, yes, teams like to see to a degree the players have to go through the gauntlet of answering the questions. Now you were down there at the Combine last week, last weekend. I ask you the Mount question because, of course, Manti Teo, big story over the past week. Um, from being down there, what do you think the bigger concern with them is among NFL teams? His fake dead internet girlfriend and obviously a story that goes along with that or his slow 40 time. I mean, John Harbaugh clearly didn't love his 40 time. So uh, what do you think was the bigger, uh, the biggest thing with Teo? I think the biggest thing with Teo is how he assimilates into an NFL locker room. He's going to be taken within the first 40 picks. 
So, I mean, whether he's a first-rounder, high second-rounder, he's going to be drafted. How he assimilates, I think, is the biggest concern for personnel people I talk to. You know, will they be able to take him, quote-unquote, seriously? He'll be an inside linebacker, which is a, an important position, of, you know, a defense-calling position within the huddle. So it commands a lot of respect. Will he be able to gain that respect if his teammates move past him? And that'll be the biggest hurdle, I think, for him to clear in terms of NFL people. I personally, Alex, and sure. I don't have a lot of people agreeing with me, I don't think a 4840 is a bad deal for an inside linebacker. You know, Brandon Spikes ran a 5-plus 40, right. and he's a starting linebacker in the NFL in a 4-3 defense. So if you look at Teo, guy had seven picks last year. He might run a 4-8, but if you can have seven picks and play as athletically and with as much anticipation as he did, it's not really a 4-8 plays at a 4-5, maybe, because of his anticipation. And I think that should be a, a component of the evaluation when people are saying, oh, I mean, think about it. 4-8 to 4-7, freaking pickup. Who cares? Yeah, no, I agree with you. A guy who did run a good 40 time and who has all the physical tools, although he's not that tall, cornerback Tyron Matthew from LSU. Um, how far do you think he'll slip in the draft, Tom? And in general, how big of a red flag to you is a little uh, marijuana use? Although I guess to him it was more than a little because he had to go to rehab for it. But, you know, bear with me. <laughs> I don't think it's a major red flag. I think, though, that, I mean, I, I guess I am getting to the point where I am maybe a different generation. Where uh, If and when I smoked weed, I was, you know, and it wasn't very often. Right. I was like, oh, shit, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And I felt bad about it. I was not, I just didn't like it, so I didn't do it too often. Can't say I didn't do it. But it is, you know, benign, I think, compared to drinking. Right. And I have high school-age kids, and, and uh, you know, I don't know what they're up to, but I think that the general view, whether it's college or, or high school, is that it's benign compared to binge drinking. And I don't disagree. So that's my take on that. With Tyron Matthew, I think he drops a ways, and I think that that's a huge value opportunity for a team. You look at Janoris Jenkins, who dropped last year in the draft, and the St. Louis Rams got a player who contended for NFL uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year honors because of the gamble they took. Can Tyron Matthew be that same player? I would bet on. I would bet on. I would bet on him until I was an NFL general manager. If he's still sitting there, and you're holding anywhere between the, the 50th pick and you know right on down, how good is the player? What the hell? I mean, you see enough mistakes in second round picks. That's the round to take the chance, as Bill Belichick had said in Michael Hawley's book, uh, The War Room. Last question, Tommy and Tommy Curran, Comcast Sportsnet New England. We thank you for the time. We know the NFL is a copycat league, um, so it's not a great rookie quarterback class this year. I know. But after all the success we saw rookie quarterbacks have last season, do you really think not one team, like let's say, oh, I don't know, Arizona, will take a risk on Geno Smith or Matt Barkley in the first round? No, I think somebody will take a quarterback. And, you know, I could see some. Look, they fired 10 general managers a year. So <laughs> they screw up on the regular basis. Right, yeah, exactly. So while I would be reticent about taking Matt Barkley with a top 10 pick, I don't have to worry about my owner, my head coach hanging me out to drive the GM, or my GM hanging me out to drive for the head coach. I don't have to worry about the fan base. I don't have to worry about ticket sales. I don't have to worry about buying myself two or three additional years by saying, look, you have to rookie here. We've got to give him some time. But I, I would not take one of those players in the top ten. Um, and I'm sure that one will be taken for all those different dynamics I mentioned, even though none may be worthy of that first round. I mean, look at playing Gabbard. 
Like Jake Locker. I think uh, I think top fifteen picks. No. Are they ever gonna amount to that? No. Nope. Matt Miner never. No. Nope. But there are dynamics involved, Alex, as you well know, that make those teams say, Shh, we gotta get the quarterback. I appreciate the self edit by the way. Say it again? I appreciate the self edit you just did there. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm, I I wish I could have that ability at all times. I've been beeped. <laughs> Tommy Curran, you know him from Comcast Sports in New England. Read him, CSNNE.com. Tom, we appreciate the time. We'll talk to you soon. Good stuff, man. All right, Alex. Take care. Big thanks again go out to Tommy Curran, Comcast Sports in New England, for taking the time and joining us on the show today. We appreciate his insights. The quick thing I want to say on Manti Teo is this. Then the opening, Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, reported uh, recently that many NFL GMs at the Combine wanted to ask Tao about his sexual orientation because many still feel that's the elephant in the room, if you will, in regards to this story about his fake dead internet girlfriend. Now, I said last week on the show, I don't think this story around Tao, because as it's being portrayed right now, he's the victim of the hoax. As I said, I don't think it will have any effect on his draft status. And at the end of the day, I still don't think it has a lot of effect on his draft status. Maybe he slips a few spots, but as Tommy Curran said, I think he goes top 40. You know, I mean, I have some questions about him, and I didn't watch any, and I didn't watch a lot of Notre Dame games last year, but I saw him be pretty much invisible in the national championship game. I see the mediocre 40-yard dash time, and I have some questions about Teo on the field. Um, but as far as off the field, and I'm not going to speak too much about this because it's purely speculation at this point, but if it does come out, that Manti Teo is gay, and this was all a ruse, if you will, or if he tried to seek out, you know, because it is possible that he was truly hoaxed, and that he's gay at the same time, you know, because he could have been looking for a way to cover it up, finds this girl online, thinks she's real, but, you know, it doesn't make a difference to him, he's not going to meet her in real life anyway, and boom, he has a cover, so it can be both, and if it does turn out to be both, um, I think it says a lot about the football culture, and even the culture at Notre Dame, that Teo would go to these kind of lengths to hide his sexual orientation. And I don't think it says anything good. I think it says nothing good about the football culture, about the culture of Notre Dame. Uh, it says nothing good. And let me just say, you know, I'm one of these people, I talked about this offseason, my Red Sox podcast without a curse, when Tory Hunter made some comments about how he would be apprehensive about accepting a gay teammate. I've been one of these people who says it's a matter of time. It's going to happen. We're going to have an openly gay professional athlete. And with the way society is thankfully moving in due time, I don't think it will be a big deal. But if this is the first one, Manti Teo, and if this is how it has to happen, making up the story about the fake dead internet girlfriend just to serve as an elaborate ruse, a cover, because he was uncomfortable being himself in the football culture and the Notre Dame culture, if this is how it has to occur, then that is very unfortunate. And it says nothing good about the football culture and the culture at Notre Dame. Nothing good at all. So this is a very, very bad story for the NFL, if it would go to those lengths. And for football in general, I really think that. So I'm incredibly fascinated with Manti Teo and what happens there. But as it stands right now, as I said last week, I think the bigger concern with him or the bigger issue with him 
Are there questions about his on-field play? But obviously, we'll keep an eye on that as the draft rolls on. But the real story I want to talk about today in the second down segment, not to say that Teo isn't a real story. I think that is the story. But the story I want to focus on today in the second down segment is the NFL overhauling its offseason calendar. ESPN's Adam Schefter reported late last week the NFL is considering moving the combine back to March, free agency back to April, the draft back to May. The NFL is also considering having all 32 teams start training camp on the same day. What's the reasoning behind this, you ask? Well, NFL owners want to expand revenue. The only way to expand revenue is to expand the product. Ties nicely into what we were talking about last week with Roger Goodell and how I said the second biggest thing he'll face the rest of his tenure as commissioner besides player safety is overexpansion of product. And this ties nicely into that. NFL owners forever want to expand revenue. The only way to do that is to expand product. The players union won't let them go to 18 regular season games. So, here's the question. How can the NFL owners expand the product and not have the players union vote it down? Gave you some time to think. The answer is expanded playoffs. That's how you expand the product without having the players union say no. Expanded playoffs. You expand the playoffs from 12 teams to 16 teams. You add in a bye week between week 17 and the wild card round. Get two solid weeks of hype. And then push everything back a week. You now have the Super Bowl on the second weekend in February instead of the first weekend. And it's one step closer to year-round domination for the National Football League. You bite into the NBA and NHL, since nobody except fanatics pay attention to those sports until football is over anyway. You bite into the NBA All-Star Weekend and trade deadline, which would now only be one week after the Super Bowl, instead of two, two and a half weeks after the Super Bowl. You get the off-season conversation started in March with the Combine, and then from April 1st through May 1st, the sporting world is yours. Free agency, draft coming up, the NFL would dominate the news coverage for that month. You bite into the NBA and NHL playoffs. You bite into the start of the Major League Baseball season. Then you take a break for the end of May and most of June. Let the NBA and NHL finals take center stage. People get focused back on baseball and the boys of summer. But then, oh, July 1st comes around. Training camps all open on the same day at the end of the month. We're talking football again. MLB's trade deadline, no longer the biggest event at the end of July. No, no. The biggest event at the end of July, all 32 teams open NFL camp on the same day. It's clever. It's borderline brilliant. But ultimately, I think it would devalue the regular season and devalue the regular season quite significantly. And that's not just because half the league would make the playoffs, 16 out of 32 teams, but because under this format, the buys would have to disappear. So top seeds would have nothing to play for in the final month of the regular season. I mean, why watch a Patriots game past Thanksgiving under this format in a weak AFC East? You know they're going to win the division. You know they're going to get in the playoffs. 
Seeding doesn't matter because there's no bye. Because they won their division, you know they're going to get at least a home run playoff game or two. But because they don't have that bye and won't have that advantage, what's the point in the final month of regular season games? Again, this is a clever proposal. It's really clever. So clever, in fact, I think it's going to happen. Because we always want more here in our capitalistic society. And that's a beautiful thing. I'm a big fan of capitalism. And one of the beauties of capitalism is you want more, more, more. And eventually you want so much, there's no more to get. And then the consumer stops buying into your product and you fall back a little bit. And I think that will ultimately happen to the NFL. If they, go forward with if they go forward with expansion of product, which they're going to do. The owners want it. They want it so bad. But this would devalue the regular season. And not just because half the league would get in. Yeah, that devalue it to an extent. But I think even the bigger thing is the top seeds, your top teams, would have nothing to play for in December. Nothing. If the top seeds can't get a bye week and get that distinct advantage on their competition, what's the point in watching their final two or three regular season games? It's around the holiday season, got a lot of other things going on. Why watch a meaningless game? Under this system, there would be a lot more meaningless regular season games, especially in the month of December, than there are now. And that's not a good thing. And eventually, over time, it would devalue the regular season. Moving on to our third down segment, it's the Big Up Slowdown segment, where I say a statement and then express my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying Big Up or Slow Down. Topic number one, reported this week, the Ravens might put the non-exclusive franchise tag on Joe Flacco. Big Up or Slow Down, this means the Ravens don't think Flacco's elite. I love this, the Joe Flacco elite conversation. We've had it a lot on the show. And I'm on record as saying, said it last month, two months ago, with Flacco's Super Bowl and playoff performance, elite, not elite, doesn't matter. All that matters is that you can win with them, and you can win with Joe Flacco. He performed his best when it mattered most in the playoffs, so it doesn't matter. It's a made-up radio argument. Okay, we're understood. Now, is he elite? Well... I still say he's not in my top 10. And I don't know if the Ravens feel that way. And I think the Ravens might feel that way too. Because they might put the non-exclusive franchise tag on him. So I say big up here. This means the Ravens don't think Flacco's elite. Now, they're probably going to reach a deal. I'm not going to fool you and say they're going to put the non-exclusive tag on Flacco and not sign him long-term. They're probably going to reach a deal. But my question is, if Flacco is so elite, Entering the prime of his career. Why would you risk this? Why would you risk this? Because a team can give him an offer. And if you don't match the offer, the cost is two first-round draft picks. Which, as the Redskins showed us last year, is really a minimal cost if you think you're getting your franchise quarterback. The Redskins traded all those picks to move up and draft Robert Griffin III last year. And they would do that. 10 times out of 10. So the two first-round draft pick cost for an elite quarterback is fairly nominal with how important the quarterback position is in today's league. So if Flacco was truly elite, if the Ravens truly felt he was a top 
five guy, no questions asked. They wouldn't chance anything. They wouldn't even float it out there that they're thinking of putting the non-exclusive franchise tag on them. They're playing it smart here. The exclusive franchise tag for quarterbacks is absurd. It's an ungodly figure. And they're probably going to sign them long-term anyway. And they're letting Flacco know they still have a little leverage here as well. So it's a smart move on their part. And I think eventually they'll sign him to a long-term deal because he is their guy. He won them a super, or helped to win them a Super Bowl last year and was a big reason why they won with the way he played in January. No doubt about it. So eventually a long-term deal will get done with Flacco and the Ravens, but interesting nonetheless. They're floating this out there, the non-exclusive franchise tag. Speaking of quarterbacks, the 49ers and Chiefs are rumored to be closing in on a deal for now San Francisco backup, Alex Smith. Of course, the deal cannot be announced officially until the league year begins, so all is mum as of this recording, but that was the hot rumor earlier this week. Big up or slow down, is Alex Smith a good acquisition for the Chiefs? I say big up. Smith is a good acquisition for the Chiefs. He's not a great quarterback, but he's pretty good. And he had a 17-5 to touchdown-to-interception ratio in 2011 and took the 49ers to the NFC title game. He had a completion percentage of 72 of 70.2 in 10 games played this season before Colin Kaepernick overtook him as San Francisco's starter. Not a great quarterback, but he's a pretty good one. He'd do a whole lot worse, as the Chiefs showed us last season. So Alex Smith would represent a big step up for Kansas City. And under Andy Reid, he can take them back to respectability while they try to find the real long-term option at quarterback, whether that's through the draft, through free agency a few years down the line, etc. Alex Smith is a mighty fine placeholder. You can do a lot worse than him. And with a guy like Smith under center, the Chiefs could surprise. I mean, many feel they still have a lot of talent on defense. They're in a really weak division. The Broncos only have two years maximum left with Peyton Manning. The Raiders stink. Chargers just changed their coach. They're in total disarray. It's a winnable division in the foreseeable future. And while you try to find the franchise guy, Alex Smith is a mighty fine placeholder. And Andy Reid knows how to work with quarterbacks. I love the marriage. So yeah, if I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm hoping the rumors are true and that this deal gets done. Because Alex Smith would be a real good move. For them, given where they are as a franchise. And the last question here is maybe the most interesting. Redskins owner Daniel Snyder is filing a lawsuit against the NFL to prevent the start of free agency because he's challenging the salary cap penalties that were imposed on the Redskins after they restructured contracts to take advantage of the uncapped year in 2010. The NFL stripped the Redskins of $36 million in cap space over two seasons. The Cowboys were stripped of $10 million in cap space over the same stretch. But Jerry Jones is surprisingly not joining Dan Snyder here in the lawsuit. So my question is, big up or slow down, does Snyder have a case against the NFL? And we're going to have three straight big ups because I say yes, big up. Snyder does have a case against the NFL. Now, from my understanding, there was a gentleman's agreement 
in the uncapped year 2010 that the owners would abide by a salary cap. They wouldn't restructure their deals like the Redskins and Cowboys did and take advantage of the system. There was a gentleman's agreement and pretty much every owner followed it. Good for them. They're gentlemen. But I say being a gentleman means nothing when you're talking about the law. When you're talking about the rules, it means nothing. And the rules stated in 2010, it was an uncapped year. And Dan Snyder was trying to take advantage of the climate to build the most cap space for him and his team so he could build the best team. We can debate Daniel Snyder's practices. We can debate how good of an owner he is. But you can't debate the motive. I mean, isn't this the motive you wish your owner had? Trying to take advantage of the uncapped year, trying to build the most salary cap space, take advantage of the rules. Daniel Snyder, to my understanding of it, played by the rules. It was an uncapped year. So you could restructure your contracts and put all the cap hits in 2010. You know, have 2010 be the year where you absorb the most cap hits because it's an uncapped year. My understanding of it, that's totally, that was totally within the rules. Maybe it wasn't within the gentleman's agreement. What does that mean? Within the rules, 2010 was an uncapped year. Of course. Take your biggest cap hits, spread them out, and keep them until 2010. I love the motive. Excuse me. Why wouldn't you like the motive? Snyder played by the rules. The owners, eager for a lockout, created the uncapped year for themselves. They created it. Snyder took advantage of it. Then you punish him for what? Not abiding by a handshake agreement? He played by the rules, at least how I can see it. So yeah, Daniel Snyder has a legitimate case here. You may not pay attention to it now, here on February 27th, but next week at this time, you may. This free agency may not start on March the 12th, if Dan Snyder has his way. And he does have a case. I really think he does. Wrapping up the show with the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. Short one this week, but still something I have to get off my chest. I spoke about it to lead off the show. Biggest news in football this week. Tom Brady and the Patriots agree to a three-year, $27 million contract extension. Brady does nearly double the guaranteed money he had on his existing contract with this extension. Base salary of $7 million in 2015, $8 million in 2016, $9 million in 2017. But the big thing is the cap hit. Patriots can now spread out the cap hit. They say $15 million against the cap these next two years. About $8 million saved this year. Cap hit for Brady in 2013, $13.8 million. 2014, $14.8 million. 2015, $13 million. 2016, $14 million. 2017, $15 million. So it's a great deal for the Patriots because it saves them a lot of money in the short term against the cap while Brady still is in his window. And as I said with Tommy Curran, I would expect an offseason here reminiscent of what we saw in 2007. Except this time around, the focus may be on the defensive side of the ball. Because it's a flat salary cap this year. The cap isn't going up. Much north of $122 million. And the Patriots are one of the few teams across the league that are in great position. They're in great salary cap position. Have more than $20 million, uh, are more than $20 million under the salary cap. 
So a lot of other teams across the league are going to have to make a lot of tough choices this offseason. For the first time in a long time, teams are going to have to seriously abide by the restrictions set forth by the salary cap. And they're going to have to make tough decisions. And they're going to have to cut players who they don't necessarily want to cut. There's going to be a lot of players out there for below market value. And the Patriots just extended Tom Brady's window here until he's 40. He said in the past he wants to play until he's 40. You got to get another one here. And preferably within the next couple of years, where Brady still is in the window of the back end of the prime of his career. And I think they're set up for a monster offseason, or at least I hope so. Because it seems to all be building towards this. Every year, the past couple of years, the Patriots have routinely been below the salary cap. And a lot of people have said, why? You know, salary cap increases every year. Why don't you spend it to the cap like pretty much everybody else? Like the Jets. Why don't you spend up to the cap like the Jets? Well, now we see why. The plan could be coming to fruition. So Brady did a great thing for the team. Did a real solid for the team. And that he deserves an immense amount of credit for it. Said tongue-in-cheek to Tommy Curran. Wow, Giselle's his wife. They have a moat around one of their houses, for God's sakes. Of course Brady can take this. Of course he can take the pay cut. Doesn't need the money. His wife's one of the richest women on the face of the earth. And that's a good point. It's true. I think being married to Giselle does allow Brady to make some decisions like this. But that still doesn't mean he shouldn't deserve credit. Because it's rare for any professional athlete to not take the money no matter what. His financial position is. Tommy Kern said Peyton Manning is fine financially. And he took the Broncos for every penny last offseason. So let's give Brady a lot of credit here. And there are some people out there, some smarmy contrarians, who are not giving Brady credit. I see them all over my Twitter feed. Whoa, what's the big deal here? Brady nearly doubled his guaranteed money. What's the big deal? What do you mean he left money on the table? This is just the media sucking up to Brady, sucking up to Belichick, sucking up to the Patriots. Look at me, I'm smarter, see through everything. Uh, no, you're actually a moron and you see through nothing. It doesn't take a genius to figure this out. I scored in the low 500s on my math SATs. I am terrible at math. I am far from an economist. I can't read markets to save the life of me, but I can even see this. Tom Brady left a lot of money on the table here. If Brady hit the open market after the 2014 season, he would have gotten far more than $27 million. Brady left millions, millions, tens of millions of dollars on the table. If he hit the open market after 2014, he would have gotten more than $27 million. That's a fact. So that's why we're commending Brady. Because he did what few superstars, if any superstars, would do in today's day and age. He left tens of million dollars on the table to stay with his team and help his team out in terms of the cap over the next five years. And especially over the next two. Yeah, guys like Derek Jeter stay with one team, but Jeter... Gets over 20, got over $20 million per year from the Yankees last time around. Jeter hasn't taken any hometown discount to remain in New York. And Brady, twice now, after 2005, in this latest extension, 
has taken a massive hometown pay cut to stay with the Patriots. And yeah, he's married to Giselle, so he can do it. And that may be why he does it. But the bottom line is, he does it. And he deserves a lot of credit for doing it. You're not being smart. You're being a contrarian on this. And I love being a contrarian. I'm a contrarian nine times out of ten. But every once in a while, the conventional wisdom is right. And here, it's freaking obvious. Brady left tens of million dollars on the table with this three-year deal. So, go back to tweeting about what you had for lunch. You're offering no value with your quote-unquote hot take here. Thank you for tuning in to episode number 39 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer. Again, thanks go out to Tommy Curran, Comcast Sportsnet New England, for joining us on the show this week. As always, feel free to leave a comment on the show page on footballnation.com. Always appreciate your comments. Feel free to send me an email, areamer at bu.edu is my email address. And also feel free to follow me on Twitter, at AlexReamer1 is my Twitter handle. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next on the show next Wednesday. So long. We'll talk to you then.